Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, y'all. Ryan Sprague here. As you all know, the Somewhere in the Skies podcast is always free to consume, but it isn't free to create. That's why I've started the Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now, on with the show. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. Today on the show, we talk to Heather Taddy, one of three investigators on the new Travel Channel show, Alien Highway. Many may know Heather from her extensive investigation work on the hit show, Paranormal State. But it's clear she's not just a ghost hunter any longer. Now, she's on the trail of strange phenomena happening across the U.S., she is joined by Chuck and Dan Zukowski. Chuck is a former Colorado law enforcement officer who has been researching and investigating UFO-related incidents for over 30 years. And together with his son Daniel and Heather, they're searching for definitive proof of UFOs along America's well-known alien highway. Here's our conversation with Heather Taddy. Heather, thank you so much for joining me today on Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you. I'm I'm super pumped. I, I listen to your podcast all the time, and now I'm a guest on it, which is completely crazy. It is crazy. It's <laughs> come full circle. I remember yeah. watching you on television every week, and now to know <laughs> that like you're listening to my show, and we finally made this happen. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, this is a big one for me. So I apologize if I'm a little nervous, all right? What? No, no way. I'm more nervous probably than you. Oh, man. Well, we'll we'll be nervous and we'll get through this together. Um, (laughs) But kind of the real reason we're here today is to talk about your new show, Alien Highway on the Travel Channel. Um, But most of my listeners, including myself, uh, we know you best from your work on Paranormal State. So Uh I would love to know how you first got involved with investigating, researching the paranormal. What is your origin story, as it were? Well, I grew up with a pretty cool older brother. We're 10 years apart in age, and he got me into music. And I can remember, I was really young, and I remember eavesdropping 
on he and his friends while I played with a Ouija board. I remember peeking through the crack crack of the door and being like, what are they doing? What is a Ouija board? So it, it kind of started with that. And then from there, um, just listening to him and his friends talk about how they'd go to these haunted places and they heard a voice of a little girl in this graveyard. And, and I was just really intrigued by these stories and I wanted to put myself in these situations. So, um, and then it just came from watching, you know, movies like I was, I was, I remember being really young and watching tales from the crypt and, um, reading about Ed and Lorraine Warren, reading about all of their cases. Um, the stories just, I was always intrigued and I wanted to have those experiences and I wanted to know what happens when you die. So then in junior high, I started investigating on my own and, and with my friends. And that kind of consisted of me with a movie camera and a Ouija board leading my friends into these abandoned buildings and just trying to figure out if we could catch any evidence. That's where it started. And then just from there, you know, paranormal state, I can, I can, I know that's probably one of your questions is how I got involved in paranormal state. Oh, absolutely. I definitely want to get to that. But my first question is for you. So you went, you went right to the Ouija board to try to communicate with these things. Uh There was no like, (laughs) there was no like, who's here, um, EMF readers and whatnot. You just went straight for the Ouija board. No, I mean, yeah, it's just the whole thing about spiritualism, you know, reading about the Fox sisters like that really, I was just so interested in that and, and ways in which people would go to great lengths to try to contact people that passed away. That was just always really bizarre to me. And, um, yeah. And then just the investigating and, and I, I've always been intrigued, too, by old buildings and knowing the history and knowing what energy has passed through. That's a really good point. I often find myself when I'm traveling, uh, legend tripping, which, you know, yeah. sort of then e- eases into, like, paranormal investigating. But I almost find the stories more intriguing than, like, oh, this ghost is haunting this place. No, I like mm-hmm. to know the history of what happened there. And I, I know yeah. that's, like, kind of your thing when it comes to um what you would eventually do on Paranormal State. So, yeah, let's go there. How did the opportunity for Paranormal State come about? So I um in I went to Penn State of course and I I had known about PRS um a year prior because I I remember I was studying for a test and I looked on one of the tables and it was around Halloween and and literally the page was open to this article about this conference that they ran at Penn State where they'd bring in you know Lorraine Warren and and they'd have these investigations and on haunted buildings on campus. And I remember seeing that article being like, wow, there's an actual club that's backed by a student university and and a college student started it. Like, I'm going to join this club when I transfer up to the main campus because I had been going to like a branch campus my first two years of, Mm. of college. So when I transferred up there, I saved the article. I started going to meetings and I was so impressed by how smart everybody was and how much they knew about, you know, this phenomena. So and, and the meetings, they were just on a building. They were in a building on campus, and I would I would go every Sunday. And I remember I would always park illegally, <laughs> illegally, <laughs> and I'd be sitting there thinking, "Am I going to get a ticket?" I'd park in the the, the uh, teachers' parking. I don't know why that just popped into my head, but it's kind of funny. Oh my god! But, I you did know... the same thing at my <laughs> campus. We've all done it. So I remember, um, you know, they would set up these tables, and it would just be like a group of fifteen to twenty people. We'd all be facing each other and everybody would just go around and talk about their experiences growing up and what kind of drew them to join the club. And 
and they, they would go on investigations. They had equipment and Ryan was just super smart and everybody in the, in the club is really interesting. So I continued to go to the meetings and I knew nothing about a TV show. I, I kept going and around the fifth or sixth meeting in, I noticed a new face in the room and this guy was just sitting at this table and he had the stack of pamphlets and I was like, what is this guy doing? And, and they, um, they were, they had been in the process. They had filmed a pilot a couple years prior, but they were in the process of making like a docu reality series about, you know, following these college students as they go on their investigations. So they put up all these flyers everywhere on campus. Like everybody knew about this. And they, they basically just said, do you want to be in a haunted location and experience ghosts and spirits? And I was like, yes, sign me up. So I filled out this 20 page pamphlet and I just kind of went back to my studies and didn't, I didn't really think about it. You know, I was, I was really focused. I was really focused on doing well in school and trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do. Cause I, I was studying film and I studied French and I kind of never really knew what I wanted to do. It was just kind of like, these are my interests. So let's just try to get through this and then figure it out. So let's see what happened then. Then uh, I got a call probably like two or three weeks. You know, I got a, I got a call back. And, and what was really interesting was uh, Katrina and I were both um, going through the training process to become investigators. Mm, okay. So we took tests and it was basically like we added on an extra class to our cur- curriculum that we kind of weren't really getting credit for. We just, <laughs> you know, we're so interested and passionate about this. And we took these tests, we wrote these research papers, because my goal is to be an investigator and to be able to go on these investigations and learn more about all this. So Katrina and I ended up being the ones that got picked. And, uh, and then literally like a month later, we started filming. I was a junior in college and we fir- we started our first uh, cases where most of them were in Pennsylvania or like, you know, neighboring states where we would just drive mm-hmm. and I would leave on like a Thursday and we'd come back on a Monday. So I'd have to be like, hey, I'm going to miss, you know, some cl- some classes. And my teachers were really understanding about it because I had I had film classes and my French teacher was like, what what do you mean you're going to investigate, you know, a girl that's possessed? Like it, it was just so, so bizarre. And I can um, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I was just. And what was really crazy was walking through the hub at Penn State, you know, the main building everybody hangs out with and and seeing like a cardboard cutout of yourself (laughs) standing in there. Whoa, that's got to be surreal. Yeah, my college was my college experience was a little different from everybody else's. It was it was super fun. That is so interesting. Yeah, it's like I I always whenever I talk to like UFO researchers or paranormal investigators, we all like live these two separate lives, which is, Uh you know, like we we do our jobs during the day and we you know we we buy our morning coffee and we do the mundane work and then we come home and we we start talking to people about you know they were abducted by aliens <laughs> and brought to the pleiades or they they spoke to their um great 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 grandparent from the dead it, it's crazy to just this juxtaposition <laughs> between what people know and experience every day and then these other worlds that are out there it's it's got to be surreal like going to class and then going to a haunted home to try to like stop a demon from possessing something yeah i mean i remember being in like a philosophy film class or something and, and literally just studying for these tests that I had to take in the club. And like, I'd have a little sheet out that, you know, I was talking about Satanism and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's really crazy how the, how all of this came together. But I mean, finding out that I'd get to work with Lorraine Warren was Mm -hmm. like a huge deal for me because, um, 
I remember too, before I joined PRS, I went to see her speak at Penn State and I was just blown away by her stories and her her and Ed's commitment to just helping families that were going through things they couldn't explain. Right. And I mean, those of us in like the paranormal world or, you know, whatnot, we, we know these names, Ed and Lorraine Warren, probably everyone knows now because of the, the Conjuring movies. Mm-hmm. But, um, did, so did you ever get to personally meet her? Lorraine? Yeah. I mean, she was on a lot of our episodes. I, I traveled say, around with yeah, her. Yeah. She yeah. She was on I mean, quite it, a few. It was, it was insane. Like I, I got to know her mm-hmm. and she was a wonderful person. Yeah. I mean, just being able to hear her stories. I remember there were so many times because when Lorraine started talking, you couldn't get her to stop. And she was such an amazing storyteller. Like, I just couldn't believe some of the things that would come out of her mouth. Like, and, and she had the best sense of humor. She was the sweetest little angel. And I remember uh, we'd be getting ready to, to film a scene where Lorraine would, you know, be talking to one of the family members. And she'd be tell- sitting there telling us about Amityville. And and all this stuff. And we're just like, our jaws are dropped and production's like, come on, Lorraine, we got to do this next scene. And she's going on and on. But um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know that that feeling well, you know, it would be in the middle of shooting something for our show. And uh, someone would start talking about, you know, what happened back at Roswell. And I'd be like, oh, my God, is this really happening right now? Oh, man. Well, <laughs> speaking of, um, you know, uh, Roswell um, UFOs, I know uh-huh. at one point on Paranormal State, you guys actually went to the East SETI Ranch. My listeners know that place well. So yes. what was that like, mixing sort of this UFO world with a paranormal? It was super fun. I remember we camped there, and every night we would see these lights, and they would, I mean, they would start going really slow. And then James had a, you know, he had all these high powered military flashlights and he'd be like, I'm going to show you how it powers up. And he would flash this light and it would take a little bit, but it would be so bright and it would flash back at us. And then it would go really slow and then it would go fast and then it would disappear. And we saw this multiple nights and I had been there twice because I think after we filmed the episode there, we went back to do an event. But I could not explain this at all. I know scientists had been there to study it. And I think like a week before we arrived to film our episode, Robbie Williams was there. I know he's really into all this. Um, but yeah, it was incredible. And and hearing James' stories, like I, he's just such an interesting person. And I, I was like, we're not going to see anything. Like I was pretty skeptical. Like what? You know, we're going to see a satellite. And we went there and had these experiences. And, and it was really cool because we had a – they bought us this like uh, satellite tracking system we had on the computer – so we could precisely see what direction the satellites were and when they were coming. So we, you know, we would know what we were seeing. But it was cool. I mean, I felt like a little kid um, because growing up too, I always had this fascination with looking at the stars and just hanging out with friends and just you. You would always end up having really great conversations about, you know, life on other planets and and everything. So right. it was it was really neat to be able to go there. Uh, I really want to go back actually. Yeah. I've actually, I've never been there, but I've had so many people recommend it. So hopefully yeah. someday. Yeah. Yeah. You should, you should totally go. Cool. Well, what were some of your most, your most memorable moments for paranormal state? I know that's a really broad question. Yeah. You guys investigated oh. so much, but like, does anything really stand out to you? Like, Whoa, this is like, this is beyond what I signed up for. I mean, we, I, I did a couple, um, cases that ended up being pretty serious and I was still training and learning about all this stuff. And I mean, 
a lot of that was kind of intense mm -hmm. and they always wanted me to go because I, you know, I have this positive energy and it, it, you know, it'll help the clients and everything. But a lot of those cases are really, really serious. And, um, it affected us all after we leave, you know, thinking about helping this family and, and what they were going through, like it stuck with us and especially with Ryan and there'd be, and, and this has never happened to me, but a lot of times, um, some of the PRS members lived in a house together and, after some of the real serious cases, they would have stuff follow them home. Mm. I don't know why nothing ever followed me home. Like I never had any any experiences, but a lot of that kind of really stuck with you seeing these families that were terrified to sleep in their own house. Some of them brought, obviously, they brought this activity upon them without knowing the dangers of you know messing around with a Ouija board or anything like this, like that. But um, a lot of that was really intense. But one case that really stuck out to me, it was called, I think they called it paranormal intervention. Um, we worked with this lady. She actually lived in Queens. Um, her name was Carol Ann and she had these bouts of depressions that she blamed on spirits. And, and a woman named Mary had committed suicide in her garage and, and Carol Ann, she had a really intense attachment to the spirit and she was obsessed with taking EVPs and trying to hear her voice. And she had bag, bag, little baggies and baggies of these little micro cassettes of, of these amazing EVPs. And she was literally obsessed with, mm. with trying to reach this spirit. And it was, it was really, it was really insane. And, and so the activity was really centered around Carol, Car Carol Ann. And she wasn't letting the spirits move on because she was constantly engaging them. And that's something you think about today with like, everybody really into this phenomena it's happening so often and is it because we're constantly trying to contact them you yeah. know it's, it's like a strange thing to think about but um i don't know that's one episode that really stuck out to me because she just wouldn't stop i mean we even ended up taking her recorder i think she just went out and got another one but it it's it's strange how obsessed people can get with this this kind of thing <laughs> yeah you're telling me yeah it, it's it's hard because like they go through this paradigm shifting experience and then it's like how do you go on every day after that like uh -huh. doing these menial tasks we all do as you know mere mortals when we know or they know i should say or think that like there's a spirit talking to them from like beyond the grave it's crazy it is yeah but it's it was really interesting to try to go and like you, cause when you go to these families' houses, you basically become their historian. You're, you're diving into their history, diving into their past and, and even figuring out when this phenomena began, what was going on in your life. And I always liked trying to figure, figure that out. Cause a lot of times the stuff would happen, they would bring it upon themselves and not even realize like, Oh, this, you know, the stress was causing me to do, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, there's so many different pieces to the puzzle. There really are. And I, I want, I'd like to ask you, Heather, um, in terms of like filming for this thing, for Paranormal uh -huh. State, um, I'm sure it'll sort of be the same for Alien Highway, but what is it like trying to investigate while there's like constantly cameras on you and like you're in the middle of something and they have to be like, oh, cut, we have to like go over and get this angle. Like, is it a <laughs> challenge trying to do this stuff for television? It definitely is. I mean, there are so many moments where it's like, can you just do that one more time? Our camera didn't catch you picking that up. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's bizarre. And I know beginning with Paranormal State, it was really hard to get used to the cameras at first because they are so big and they're just constantly following you around. But after the first couple episodes, I kind of got used to it in a way where you you learn 
where to stand and and to know when to say something. You know, it it just kind of like came naturally then after right. after a while. But there's definitely time constraints. I mean, with house investigations, you know, you're you're there and you're spending more time with the people. And you know, in the first a lot of people don't know this, but the first and second season of Paranormal State, we basically stayed the night in these people's homes. Mm. Like it wasn't until like maybe later in the second season where they just put us in hotel, but we were spending a lot more time with them and we had cameras on us. But a lot of the times we just, we filmed so much that you couldn't fit into the actual series. And then there were other times where we, you know, there was a moment where it's like, we have to go to the next thing. It's like, Oh, can we just have like more time to do this? Those were definitely things we ran into. And also, I mean, you have to have a lot of patience working in this field, which you probably know. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of waiting around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what doesn't make it on camera, obviously. You know, mm-hmm. everyone always says, like, oh, we're seeing the edited version. This stuff probably happened over, like, the span of a week or two. Weeks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, paranormal investigating and UFO hunting or sky watching, uh, it can get a little, little boring, a little mundane sometimes, but then you just wait for those moments of like, it's like a baseball game. You know, these things are like three hours long. Nobody's doing anything. And then in a split (laughs) second, something happens and you're like, Oh my God, I missed it. Yeah. Those moments are the best. That's, I mean, that's why I got into all this because the the thrill of when something happens, you're just like, what, what did I just see? Like that's my favorite. I know. And I feel like the phenomenon sort of does that. It's very tricksterish. It's like, I'm going to make them just wait around for like four hours. And then I'm going to just move this pencil a little bit off the table, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You never know what the heck is going to happen. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Well, moving away from Paranormal State, now we have uh-huh. Alien Highway. Um, this is crazy. So I had Ben Mesrick on my show probably when I first started the podcast. And many people know him from um, the 37th parallel the book you uh-huh. wrote on uh chuck the guy that you're doing this show with so can you tell us a little about who is on your investigation team for this new show alien highway and maybe a little about how this opportunity came about yeah of course so chuck Sikowski, he is uh so he worked in uh law enforcement he was a deputy sheriff but his real passion is he's dedicated a huge chunk of his life to investigating UFOs, animal mutilations, Bigfoot. He basically would go on these vacations with his families and and they would always have to stop somewhere like that. Their family vacations basically would turn into we're going to Roswell. Yeah. We're going here. <laughs> so he would just drag his, his family to these places. But he is so passionate about all of this. And really his his law his background in law enforcement his investigating skills like he has a huge attention to detail mm-hmm. and you know he saw that there was a huge lack of scientific expertise in this field and i don't know i was just really impressed by his his knowledge of everything and um when when i got first got told about that i'd be working with him i i had read an article somewhere about uh, a cattle cattle mutilation that he had investigated and and he referred to himself as the ufo nut Mm -hmm. so i kind of didn't know what to expect going into this but um i was i was really impressed by his investigation skills and his excitement and passion for the subject yeah and like you you mentioned you know he would drag his son along on these uh Uh you know these getaways and now he's on television with him so what is what does his son make of all this i'm sure you guys had plenty of conversations off camera yes so his son he he's really supportive of his dad he's supportive of his dad and his quest for these answers but at the same time 
he makes fun of his dad for doing this. Like, oh, we're going to go here. You want to do this? So he kind of thinks his dad is crazy in a way, mm-hmm. but he's fully supportive of him. And um, he, he, Dan is also very skeptical when it comes to a lot of this. Um, when something happens, he's always, you know, looking for a natural explanation, which I think all three of us are, are like that in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when I go on investigations, I like to have that equal balance of belief and skepticism. But yeah, and Dan also currently works in law enforcement, so he has those solid interviewing skills, investigating skills. I think that really helps. Absolutely. Um, really helps. Yeah, and I think it's refreshing, too, at least from the first two episodes I've seen, is you all are, you know, skeptical believers, or at uh-huh. least, you know, um, to a point where it's not one of these shows where you have the Mulder and you have the Scully, you know, it's yeah. believer and skeptic, let's, you know... Let's hash it out. It, it's it's so refreshing to see a show where all three of you are just trying to find the truth. It's not like, yeah. well, let's prove aliens are real. Let's prove, you know, that the skinwalker is is there. It's, it's okay, let's look at the evidence and uh, mm-hmm. let's see what comes out of it, no matter what the answer might be. So yep. that's super refreshing. Um, <laughs> well, being that you you deal you're sort of dealing with different phenomena than you did on paranormal state uh maybe who who am i to say but (laughs) how did you adapt or sort of bring your experience from that paranormal investigation into doing this new sort of ufo oriented show um i think at, at first it was a little tough because i don't really consider myself a ufologist at all i've it's just something i've always had an interest in and i've always known I've always known about it, but knowing that I was doing the show, I, I started doing a lot more research so that, I, so that I was prepared. But I'd say I, I definitely brought my investigation skills because on Paranormal State, there were so many different cases where you really had to do deep investigating. Like right. you had to go out of your way to, to, you know, do so much research. So I think that already having that and having a good read of people when you're interviewing them, I think that that's that's really helped. And, and, you know, on Paranormal State, we investigated so many different types of cases. So I think that it, I, I'm pretty well-rounded when it comes to it. I think that that really helped me, you know, transition into this, Absolutely. this show. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, and like I said, I, I saw the first two episodes of the show, and they're, they most definitely did not disappoint. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, your season opener, it brought you somewhere that a lot of us are familiar with. Um, for, but for those who may not be, could you maybe give us a little, I guess, refresher course about what's, where and what Skinwalker Ranch is? Of course. So Skinwalker Ranch is, it's basically regarded as one of the weirdest hotspots for everything from UFO sightings to unusual activity, poltergeist activity, monsters, uh, giant wolf creatures. So it's it's very um, varied in, in terms of all the weird things that have happened there. And it and this stuff predates the ranch. It's it's this whole area of the Uinta Basin. Um, and but it's said that there is a portal near this ranch or in this area, um, and, it, and it all goes back to a curse put on by the Navajo, Navajo mm-hmm. where um, you know this this ranch is, is is supposedly in the path of the Skinwalker. And what didn't make the episode is we interviewed a Native American elder about an experience um, they had had, and they're very, they won't talk about the Skinwalker Ranch. They won't talk about Skinwalkers at all. So it's a really taboo thing, which is really fascinating. But yeah, I mean, this place, you know, ranchers had lived there and had really bizarre experiences. And and we all know about Robert Bigelow buying it and using it as like a live-in laboratory. Um, So it's just a bizarre place. And I was super excited to, to just be, you know, in that area because I know it's not just the ranch, it's all around. That area has a unique history. Absolutely. I mean, it's like a dream come true for any of us out there who are into this stuff. It's got everything you need, cryptids, ghosts, aliens. It's crazy. Well, what was like, you guys, you really did get some solid evidence out of this. And that's what really impressed me. And I'm so happy that they started, like the premiere episode was this, because it shows like there is stuff we can actually analyze. It's not just Uh stories. Um, What stood out to you most while you were there about just, whoa, this place is definitely batshit weird. I mean, when you talk to the locals and talk to everybody, I mean, we... A lot, I mean, a lot of the stuff, again, didn't make the episode, but we talked to someone that lived close to the ranch and they're like, yeah, we have experiences, but we're not going on camera. You know, I'm trying to write like a book. And it's just hearing about what everybody knows that has lived in that area for a long time and what they've heard from, you know, their ancestors. But to me, that video that we captured of the wolf, I mean, it, it looked yeah. it didn't look like to me it was a coyote. And what do you think about that? Like, what's your thought on that? It was massive. First yeah, of all. exactly. Um, I and it was really cool to see again that you guys you went out of your way to like show these things. You uh-huh. you you went you put the cameras. You had like cameras out there that captured this wolf, and then you put the camera out there during the day and got the same exact angle and all that. Um, it's like a mathematician's dream. You're, you're, you're looking at the height of where it would have been, how tall the wolf mm-hmm. would have been. Uh, that was really cool. Again, these are things that the people at home uh, wouldn't realize. They would just see, oh, it's a stray dog um, that somehow got on the ranch. But um, no. Whatever it was, it had to have been huge. And then it appeared out of nowhere. I know. That's the thing I cannot explain because we got the trap cam and we immediately saw that it got hit. So we immediately analyzed it. And while analyzing it, you you could see the cars coming around the turn. And I wish that they would have put 
more of this footage in the episode, but you could see where the sensor would trigger and where each time the exact same spot, the car's headlights would go through. You okay. could see the cars passing. And I know on the episode they showed one of the gas tankers trucks coming through and you can see where the sensor triggers it and where it would show on camera. This creature just it just appeared like it, it, out of it nowhere. Made no sense. I it didn't. I still have no <laughs> idea how to explain that. Yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen the first episode, definitely check it out. The, that moment of when this wolf-like creature appears literally out of thin air, like some sort of, I don't know, portal, something. Uh, it really, really caught me off guard. I was not expecting that. So I can't imagine what it must have been like actually being there. Yeah. And, you know, we we looked around, we explored to see if we could see tracks. Now it had snowed again because it was super cold and snowing like the whole time we were in Utah. Yeah. But I mean, we didn't see anything unusual. And around there, there were a couple neighbors really spread out that had ranches and, you know, we we spent some time in the daytime going around to try to see if we could see any dogs. But, I mean, nothing looked like what we saw in the video. Yeah, yeah, that that was enough for me to be like, wow, yeah, something's going on here. But yeah. there was one other thing. And, again, I don't want to give away too much for those who haven't seen it, but this beam of light oh my that gosh. appeared over the entire ranch, that was terrifying. What the hell was going on there? Yeah, so right over that hill, and this happened probably about three times, and we had been out there for hours. I was doing that animal collar thing, and mm-hmm. we were we were just in there. We were there for hours, and it was really crazy because the way that it pulsated, yeah. and right over the first ridge where where Dan was, there was a second ridge, and then over that, I mean, that was that was Skinwalker Ranch. So the way that it pulsated and and the timing of it was really unique, and Dan was right up against it and he couldn't he had no idea what it was. And my thing is that like I said, we knew what was on the other side of the ridge. And another thing that didn't make it the episode is we went on this really long hike um on this one mountain that was kind of on the other side of uh Skinwalker. We went with the local animal tracker that had land around there and really knew the area. And our our goal was to kind of look for wildlife tracks to see like do wolves inhabit this area? You know, what kind of animals are around here and just to see if we saw anything unusual. And so we were hiking this really, really steep mountain and we came up against a barbed wire fence that basically that was Skinwalker Ranch. So we didn't cross it or anything, but way, way off in the distance, you could see flames in the sky, which was from when they, I guess they burn oil there. There, That whole area in the Uinta Basin, there's oil. I don't know if it's like an oil refinery. I don't really know much about Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, but there's constant, the traffic, you see constant oil tankers going way back beyond the ranch and the distance pretty far. And when we were out there, you could see a flame and you could see what I would describe it as, as lightning. And it was kind of an orange glow, but it was completely different from what we saw when we were in the cemetery. Okay. So I kind of attributed to it, was it that? But then when it happened, I was like, this wasn't anything like that. We knew what was there. All the oil stuff was way, way off in the distance. And this was like right beyond the ridge. Hmm. Yeah, that, that one will probably remain a mystery. But again, like, it's crazy that... You know, with a lot of these shows, you, you end up going somewhere and nothing happens. And that's, uh-huh. just, that's the reality of it. That's why it's, you know, quote unquote, reality television. Mm-hmm. But you guys seem to just like have dropped in right at the right moment. And just all of this Yeah, stuff I mean, I, I didn't, you know, I, I kind of always go into these thinking, you know, 
I don't expect to get anything. I'm just like, if something happens, it happens. But I didn't definitely didn't expect to get that, the video, the wolf or whatever that thing was and the light. Like yeah. it was, it was action packed. It was, it was great. That was one of the most memorable ones. And that was one we filmed kind of, um, we filmed that one in February, beginning of February. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't know, like these things are filmed out of sequence. So like, Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you might've shot that like months after going to Roswell or going somewhere else, but it ends up being the first episode. So yeah, yeah it definitely makes me want to go back because I just feel like if I could just go and I wish we could just camp there, you know what yeah. I mean? Camp near there and just see what we find. Absolutely. Like being there for a prolonged amount of time, I can't imagine. And we know that like groups of scientists were on the ranch for months on end studying this paranormal stuff. And a lot of the things they've brought forward are sort of things you guys came across. So something Mm -hmm. is definitely going on at Skinwalker Ranch. Yes, I agree. I agree. Oh, well, the second episode, uh, this one was near and dear to my heart, Roswell, New Mexico. I. This is, you know, what gets all of us ufologists into this, the, the seminal yep. case of ufology. Um, but you guys sort of took a new avenue with the case, and it was trying to track down a possible cave where some mm-hmm. of the wreckage from the crash was hidden. This was really interesting. So were you familiar with the Roswell case before this? And uh, what were you oh, looking yeah. for? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had read Crash at Corona. Like, I, yeah, I was pretty familiar with it. Um, yeah, so Chuck and one of the producers, they they both have different contacts through the government. And so for this episode, this federal informant gave Chuck this map that was supposedly drawn by the rancher who or whoever it was that that hid the debris. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you hear all these these stories about it's hidden in a cave. There's still an alien somewhere, you know, so it's hard to know what to believe. But this map was was pretty accurate. So we went out and we first of all, let's talk about how we talked to Sandy Proctor, because yeah. that was incredible for me. I was super excited to be able to interview him. And for those of you that don't know Sandy Proctor, is the brother of D who was with Mac when he found the debris on the ranch. So, yeah. So it was really interesting to talk to him because you hear all these rumors that the proctors had a piece of the debris and he flat out, you know, Chuck, Chuck was of course going to ask him that question. And and Sandy came right out and be like, no, those people are idiots. Like we, we don't have, (laughs) we don't have any of the debris, you know? And um, Sandy talked about how, you know, D was young and he, he wasn't even interested in the wreckage. Like he couldn't really talk about it because, it, you know, when you grow up on these ranches, you just see piles of stuff. So it kind of wasn't a big deal to him as a young boy, but it's completely like plausible to think if, if this, this debris was on a ranch for, it was like a couple days before the government came, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's completely you know, logical to think that maybe, you know, people in the town knew about this, maybe a little kid or someone came and took some of the debris and hit it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that that's completely, it's totally believable. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked to Don Schmidt and he, he told us that the Richard Richards ranch, which is adjacent to, or adjoining to, um, you know, the Proctor ranch where the debris was found. Um, they think that he st- still stole the debris. So we talked to somebody in the family that didn't, you know, want to be named, didn't want to be seen on camera. And he basically, we went to his house and he said, told us where he thought the cave was, where, you know, this had been in his family and people knew about this. And he told us where he thought the cave was after, you know, prior we had been looking and 
we were kind of distracted and thought we had seen two different caves that ended up being nothing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it was pretty incredible um, uh, to be able to talk to Sandy and and hear what his mom, you know, his mom got to see the the debris. And uh, he also told us a story. This didn't make the episode, but he told us a story about how his father and mother, they had they had had a pretty incredible UFO sighting before the Corona crash. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was it was really neat to hear about that. But, right. you know, and and they said that, you know, and then and the Proctor family, of course, was close with, with Mac. And Mac was told not to talk about it. Um, you know, he was a butcher and he wanted a place where he could keep – he wanted a meat locker. So they, they moved him, you know, and then they say, did they move him to, to be able to watch him near this Air Force base? Mm-hmm. And did they pay him off? You know, all these stories you hear. So it was just really neat to hear that from someone that obviously – was in that the Proctor family, that's, but um, yeah, that's a really good point, though, Heather. I mean, I've had my presumptions about this case forever, um, uh-huh. and that all sort of changed when I got there and started talking to the locals. That's when you like you really yep. start to get to the core of the story, and you start hearing from these people who are you know descendants of of families who were involved. I mean, I got to speak to the granddaughter of Jesse Marcel, the first officer on site and the story she had to tell, um, in terms of like this memory metal that was Mm -hmm. on site, you know, crumble it up. It would go right back to its shape. Um, it was light as a feather, but you couldn't like hammer through it. It, It's crazy, (laughs) but it's really, it's lining up with the same stories that you heard from the Proctor family. So, Mm -hmm. You really do have to wonder. And this was really interesting. When I was watching when you guys got to the like the impact site, the craft site, yeah. I'm like, okay, people claim so many different locations are where this crash happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if you guys came across this, but when we went out there, there's like a, a memorial or like this plaque that's out there that says this is where the UFO crash happened. Yeah. So that is a little ways down. We, yeah, we saw yeah. the road that leads to. But it's really crazy because, I mean, Chuck, doing this for so long, he got to talk to a lot of the key players and get to know them in Roswell. Right. Um, so Glenn Dennis gave him the coordinates for the debris site. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I mean, that's how we, we – but Chuck has been out there. He's done a dig out there, so he knew exactly where to go. Yeah. But, I mean, to, to be able to stand there and just put yourself back in the 40s and think like – what really happened? It was incredible. Like it, I felt like I was in a dream. Yeah, same. <laughs> like, and, well, that was the other thing. When you finally got to the the impact site, um, I saw it, and I'm like, okay, let's see if it matches where I was. And I'm not kidding you. The the area where you guys were was exactly yeah. where we were told to go. And yeah. It was it. And you do. You step foot out there, and there's nothing. No life. No. Not, no, like, birds above. No reason there would be garbage or debris out there. Yet people no. like Chuck and people like Frank Kimbler, this geologist we spoke to while we were there, they found mm-hmm. stuff out there. So yet you really do have to wonder. Yeah, and... It's really crazy, too, that the the Richards family, you know, this was a legend that this this guy had told us that it was hidden away in Dan's cave and there's some different locations. And um, but this this the guy that we interviewed was was pretty strange. I mean, he 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 was kind of like, we don't want this to be known. And I'm thinking, why are we here interviewing you? And then and then finally, <laughs> like we were all 
in this other area near like behind his house. And Dan, Dan's always the one that kind of goes off and does his own thing. And I remember production being like, you know, we want to film you guys all together for this. Like come back. Dan didn't listen and went off and he ended up finding an opening. Yeah. And then we started digging and it really looked like a cave. <laughs> yeah, it did. Like what the heck? Yeah. So, and then we were out there and we were digging for hours trying to figure, figure this out. And, and then this, the, the guy comes up and he's like, you know, we, you guys are going too far. Like, we don't want you to be here anymore. You have to leave. And we're just like, oh, yeah, you know, uh. that was a total bummer. <laughs> but I really hope that we can try to get back there. There is something down there. There definitely is. Like, you guys were so close. And I, I was, I was, I'm not kidding you. Um, even for like a uh, reality television show, I was on the edge of my seat. Like, oh my God, they might break this case wide open. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine if we found a piece of it like that? I just can't even wrap my head around that. It would be incredible. Well, like, <laughs> like you said, though, like, it's not done. Like, Chuck is no. determined to get back there. And I know with his connections, um, like something's gonna happen he'll be able to Mm -hmm. get back out there but um yeah it was a fascinating episode a lot of people when they hear roswell they're like what is there left to look at but clearly there's still stuff to investigate and i think you guys did a really good job with that yeah yeah thanks i'm glad that i'm glad you enjoyed it yeah well i mean okay so we have alien highway we have um we have this show unidentified on another oh, channel. Yeah. We've got this show, this show, this show. All these paranormal and UFO related TV shows seem to be cropping up lately. So, what, mm-hmm. in your opinion, why do you why do you think that is? And what about Alien Highway kind of stands out amongst all these? I mean, I I think that this stuff isn't stopping. I mean, people all over the world are still seeing UFOs. They're still experiencing paranormal activity like it it's just a site a never-ending cycle like it's it's happening now more than ever especially with all these you know stories about the pentagon you know Mm -hmm. investigating and everything like that like i think a lot more is coming to light now and maybe a lot more people are opening their eyes and a lot more pilots are coming forward and a lot more people in the navy you know people that know stuff are coming forward and sharing their stories which i think is awesome because it's only gonna help us get to the answers more Absolutely. Yeah. There seems to be a shift happening where these topics are, they're becoming more legitimate. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like throughout decades, this happens, these things ebb and flow where like, oh, UFOs are real. We investigated it. And then, you know, then it goes away. It fades into obscurity for mm-hmm. another five years and then it comes back up. But I don't know. I, I, I feel like something is changing um, whether it's the legitimization by the Navy or this Pentagon program, uh, mm-hmm. it seems to be changing. UFOs are like on the minds of everyone right now. And it's exciting for us who have been kind of screaming this from the rooftops to uh, deaf ears for so long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Well, what are your what do your friends and family think about all this stuff you do? I, I'm always wondering, you know, luckily I have um, a partner who is so understanding of the things I do. And That's good. Parents who support me, but I know it's not the same for everybody. So. What about for I you? mean, my parents, they kind of think it's funny because I grew up being so passionate about this stuff. And I grew up with basically a video camera attached to my hand. Con- I was constantly filming ridiculous skits and just documenting my everyday life. So I think they always thought I would do something with TV. Um, so it kind of seems normal, but I mean, they think it's, they're super supportive and they, 
they love watching me. And when reruns are on, they'll send me pictures of my face on the screen. I'm just like, mom, mom's watching me on TV again. So they think it's really cool. But at the same time, it's kind of like they expected me to be into something weird like this just because of who I am. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I remember when my parents (laughs) came to my first ever UFO talk that I gave Uh at a UFO conference. And I warned them beforehand. I'm like, this might get a little weird. Just be prepared. (laughs) And afterwards, my, my mother, who's like never thought about this stuff really she always was like yeah ryan go do your thing um <laughs> she said to me like oh my god this stuff is real i'm like yeah, yeah. I mean, supposedly <laughs> supposedly yeah. it's all real so that was a good moment turning point for me where i'm like yay i finally got to my parents the people who always were like what is ryan doing with his life <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah. interesting now we can finally be like we told you so yeah told you so oh <laughs> uh, well in terms of alien highway heather um the next episode to air concerns something super interesting which i also just investigated myself uh area 51 in tonopah tonopah is this really interesting place a lot of people consider this to be like the new area 51 Mm -hmm. um yeah so could you maybe tease us a little about what we can expect from this upcoming episode yeah so for this episode we're we're playing on the theory you hear about an alien escape from area 51 so we're on a hunt to try to find this. And the site that people are talking about happens to be kind of in between Tonopah and Area 51. So that that whole area, which there's nothing out there. Yeah, nothing. as you know, there's nothing. So it would be the perfect place for someone to hide a creature or, you know, something to escape. So and this was actually my second time out to Tonopah. We spent some time there and um it's really interesting talking to the locals and and talking to people that worked in areas near there that, you know, no information that they're not allowed to talk about. Mm-hmm. So um, th- this is going to be a really good one. I think people are really going to enjoy enjoy this one. That's interesting. And yeah, yeah, a lot of people don't know, like these vast deserts, that's where all this stuff happens, whether uh-huh. it is just top secret military projects or something a bit more esoteric or, uh, you know, paranormal. I, I don't know, but... You know, once once we knew what Area 51 was or that it was, like, officially acknowledged by the government, you mm-hmm. know full well they moved all that shit somewhere else. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So Tonopah might be the place. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And I had been there once before to Tonopah because uh, I was passing through. I think I was driving to Yosemite and I had heard about it. And I was just like, I'm going to stay at the Mitzpah Hotel. And I ended up staying there and it was really, really interesting history and interesting in the fact that like gold and silver were kind of accidentally discovered in mm-hmm. that in that area. So um, I encourage anyone to, to check out that area. And if you look at the guest book at the Mispa Hotel, I think I signed it twice. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a really funny story in there. Oh, that's bragging rights for <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, that's so awesome. Heather, where can we find out more about the show and, and what you're up to? Well, um, I'm I'm pretty active on social media. There's times where I'm kind of just like, get out of here. Like, I don't want to be on the computer. But um, yeah, like um, cl- uh, my handle on Instagram and Twitter is classic tad. So classic and then T-A-D. Um, so I'm, you know, people and I still get a lot of messages, even from people that are just now discovering Paranormal State or people that right. have followed the show. Like, I still get messages, which is completely blows my mind how that show has affected people. Oh, absolutely. Um, it made me the person I am today. I'm like, whoa, you can do this in college? This is so Yeah. Cool. 
it's wild, but I'm I'm also active on uh, Facebook, and I just started a, a public figure Facebook page to kind of keep my private one separate. Ooh, but nice. um, you, you can have. find me on there under Heather Taddy, and uh, I'm working on a, a website right now. I'm just kind of behind on it. Yeah, you're too busy uh, investigating ghosts. And yeah, ghosts. right. <laughs> Hanging out in the desert. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to see where the show leads next. And I know with Chuck involved that uh, you guys have sort of only just begun. So Yes. Wow. Yeah. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on today, talking about all this. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you. This has been great. This is great. All right, that is it for this week's episode. Again, you can watch Alien Highway on the Travel Channel. Check your local listings for dates and times. By the time you hear this, I am on my way home from Alien Con, Los Angeles. It was an amazing weekend, and I can't wait to share exclusive content with you from the event. Stay tuned for that. I also got word that I'll be joining Alien Con once again for their next convention in Dallas, Texas, being held October 4th through the 6th. To learn more, visit thealiencon.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review Somewhere in the Skies on Apple Podcasts, your Android apps, or wherever you listen to the show from. It helps us out tremendously. And hey, while you're at it, share the show with a friend. You never know, they might be more interested than you think. We're on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. Everything in the Tea Public store is on sale right now. Be sure to visit tpublic.com and search for the Somewhere in the Skies store. Represent the show in style with official merchandise. That's teepublic.com. Thank you to the E1 Podcast Network, Rogue Planet, and especially to you for listening. I'll see you here next week. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching Somewhere in the Skies. is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. In reality, UFOs are seen by people from all walks of life every day all around the world. They've also been officially investigated by the U.S. government and by governments of several other countries, too. That's just a small element of what makes the strange UFO topic so incredibly fascinating and fun to explore. That's what we do on the UFO podcast, Unknown. I'm Jason McClellan, and I invite you to explore the weird and wonderful world of UFOs with me and my friends and colleagues on Unknown. Unknown is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and all the usual podcasts. Places. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.